And at this time, the Lord has spoken to Joshua of what to do preceding conquering that, that city. And he, he told them to tell your leaders to go prepare and pack your bags. Because on this trip to the promise that they was given, you might need a few things along the way. Pack your bags. You might need a tent to, to sleep on. You might need a weapon. You know, it doesn't say specifically, but use your own imagination to see what you might need when you're going on this journey to this city. And in my spirit, as I was praying and I, I was reading over this, I just kept hearing, pack your bags. Church, pack your bags. There's a couple things we're going to need headed to this promise. This church has got promises that's been prophesied to us. It's, individuals have got promises that's been prophesied to you. But there's some stuff we're going to need along the way. There's some stuff that we have to make sure, some necessities that we have to carry in our bags with us or else we might not have the strength to make the trip. And you know, we got to keep our worship. Well, that's what's a necessity. We got to keep that in the bag. And it might be a good idea to keep prayer in the bag. And it might be a good idea to keep some fasting along the way in the bag. It might keep some, you know, be good to keep, you know, a, a personal relationship with Jesus in the bag. Because you don't know when you might need to pull from one of these assets that's in your bag to fight against what's along the way. And you see, some of the people that he told to pack their bags, it was the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and they were already settled in a place that was taken. They were already settled in the land that was promised to them. But Joshua came to him and he said, look, he said, I know you've been settled here, but I need you to pack your bags. He said, because there's some people that are going to inherit this place and this is their promise and we need your help getting over there. We need you to pack your bags with the necessities. I know you have seen some victories. I know that you have seen some miracles and, and you've received them along the way, but there's some other folks that have miracles coming. There's some other folks that have some prophecies coming their way and, and they're going to need your help. They're going to need help guiding you know, along the way. They might need to borrow some of your praise every now and then. They might need to borrow some of your prayer life every now and then because even if you read in Genesis, you know, God gave Lot another chance because because the prayers of Abraham. So don't think the prayers that you're praying for anybody ain't gonna matter. Because them prayers you don't know, God might give them an opportunity just because you said their name in prayer. And I believe that God's trying to take us to a place that we've never seen before. And I believe that us being good stewards of his word and of this promise, we have to make sure that we're prepared or else we're doing God a disservice. We cannot acquire the promise if we're not prepared to receive the promise. I just feel an expectation in my spirit. It's time, church. Start packing your bags. Go home. Pack your bags. Come to church. Bring your bag with you. When you leave his church, take your bag with you. Because you might need something out of that bag. Keep it on your shoulders. Don't take it off. Because you might need to pull from it at any time. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. While the Israelites are packing their bags, Joshua decides to send two spies to Jericho. Seem familiar from what they've done in the past and they, they're going to view the land that God's given unto them and before that the king gets word of Jericho that two Israelites have entered into his city but they meet a woman named Rahab that they kind of have a little exchange going she'll keep them safe and hid in her house as long as when they come back to take the city they'll have protection from them and towards the end, 
the last exchange of words that Rahab tells them really caught my eye. And it said, and before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. You and your terror is fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. When he came out of Egypt, and what he did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of the Jordan, Sahan and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our heart didn't melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. It's crazy that before you ever get to your enemy, he's already let the enemy know who's God. He already is scared to death before you ever get to what God's trying to give you God's just wondering are you man enough and woman enough to head towards that direction you see the enemy was defeated because their mindset was defeated you see I believe word has already spread there's stuff happening in Wallace Ridge nowadays you know there's some stuff that you know there's some people getting delivered in Wallace Ridge nowadays you know there's some people being filled with the Holy Ghost nowadays at that Wallace Ridge church down the road you know and I believe that the town of Jones with them spirits in that area have caught wind of it and I believe the spirits in Harrisonburg have caught wind of it and I believe that before we ever step foot there that God's gone before us and God's already prepared the place for us to take we just gotta take our bags pack our bags and head that way cause God's already given it to us we just gotta go get it Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I believe, people in Wallace Ridge, when you wake up, that hell begins to shake a little bit. I just feel some power and some boldness. I just, I just, I just believe God enough to know that if God says he has all power, he has all power. And I believe that he has set us in this place. And I know I ain't been here but two years, but I feel at home, so I'm just going to act like I'm at home. You know, I feel like that we have become a, a, just a great big family. And I believe God has chosen us and individuals. There's people that you're going to reach that I can't reach. But there's people I'm going to reach that you can't reach. You know, there's promises that is coming your way. You know, guess what? I promise you, I still believe for that baby and I know it's coming. But I'm praying for your promise just as well. I'm praying for your promise. The devil thinks that he can get you discouraged. But as long as you got your bag packed and you say, Lord, I know, God, it doesn't look right right now, but I know what this book says. I know what your word says. It says you'll never leave me nor forsake me. It said in Joshua, he said, Joshua, don't just be, have courage. Just go, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to keep my covenant with you that I kept with Moses. As long as you keep the covenant that Moses kept with me. As long as you don't veer to the left or to the right, I'm going to keep that covenant. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to hold your hand. Because there's times you're going to need my hand to lift you up. But guess what? When the enemy thinks he's got you down, that strong man gets up one more time then he gets knocked down. And guess what? The devil can't do nothing with somebody that won't give up. The devil can't keep somebody down that just is determined that we're going to see the promises God has given to us. When they got over there, they were headed, they were instructed. They had to go across the Jordan River. It kind of seems like God's doing it over again. He done split the Red Sea for them. And now here they come up on a river. And God said to follow behind the Ark of the Covenant and the priest about a half mile. Because 
you don't want to get too close and be disobedient because back then it'd kill you. And they followed and they said, when the priest's feet hit the bank of that river, it's going to stand up on both sides. It's going to pile up on both sides. It's going to be dry. And they started across and he said, when that happens, we're going to head across. But before you head across, God instructed him to pick a person out of each of the 12 tribes of Israel and told them to get a stone. And he told them, place them 12 stones in the lodging place. And while they were doing that, Joshua himself got 12 stones and placed in the, in the Jordan. And he said, this day people are going to know, he was telling Joshua, people are going to know I am with you because I parted these waters for you. But these stones are here to represent of what God's done here for his people once again. When your children and grandchildren walk past these stones and ask you, Daddy, Granddaddy, what do these stones represent? We're going to be able to look back and say, them stones were when we were headed to take Jericho, the land that God promised us. That he put back these waters and allowed us to walk on dry ground again. And I believe there are stones all over this altar. I believe there are going to be spiritual stones, future stones. There are, there's already been stones here. But I believe this altar is going to be filled with stones that our children and grandchildren can walk by and be like, Daddy, ain't that the place that lady got out that wheelchair? Daddy, ain't that the place that my backslidden brother prayed through to the Holy Ghost? Daddy, is that where my friend received God right there and got the Holy Ghost? Is that where that person was, was possessed and God took the demon out? You see, we think it's just another miracle. But these miracles build on each other. You know, these people, they, it was a great miracle for them to be able to see the waters parted again. But there was also a miracle awaiting them at Jericho. So they weren't so focused on this miracle that they didn't receive the next. But they were in a constant hunger. They were constantly hungry for more. Wherever Joshua told them to go, they were ready to go. It didn't say they hesitated when he told them to pack their bags. It said they packed their bags. And they went on three days later. Whatever Joshua commanded, they followed. And I got to thinking, these Israelites, they were, they were being led and they were hungry, but what was the driving force behind this? They never forsook the Ark of the Covenant at this point. They obeyed the Ark of the Covenant. They obeyed the man of God, and they didn't disrespect it. They were led by God's Spirit. And as long as you're being led by God's Spirit, He's always going to take you into more miracles. He's always going to take you into deeper depths. As long as you keep your eyes fixed on Him, you're going to keep growing and keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. I believe God's got great things for Wallace Ridge. I believe the best is not behind us. I believe that eyes haven't seen and ears haven't heard what's going to happen in this place. I'm just crazy enough to believe that the stories I've heard of other churches is going to have stories come out of this church, go into other places. People are going to talk about Wallace Ridge stories. We're not going to have to talk about no other stories because God's in this house. And if God's in the house and there's one or two in here that is crazy enough to believe, God's crazy enough to come down here and do it for you. And when they got to Jericho the last day that they were told to march around that city, they conquered the city in chapter 6, verse 20. But they led with the Ark of the Covenant. They led with the presence of God. 
They had musicians, sounds a lot like worship to me. Trumpet sounds a lot like maybe some drums and some piano playing to me. And then at the end, the people shouted, keep your worship at the forefront. Regardless of what it looks like, God's got you. The reason why they kept growing is because they packed their bags, they followed his spirit, and they conquered it. Church, get ready and pack your bags. God's taking us somewhere. Praise God. Why don't you stand all across this house and give God praise for what he's bringing us to. Hallelujah. Pack your bags. What a wonderful message. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Brother Caleb Black. What a tremendous message. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to the book of Genesis, the 21st verse. And while you are, while you are turning to that, I want to say... Thank you to Pastor. What a great honor and privilege it is to stand in this pulpit that you've allowed us to do. I know we don't take that lightly, and I know that's not a decision you take lightly. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for this great church. What a magnificent church that we are part of. Don't you agree? What a great church. I'm so excited. I've I've been here roughly around 20 years now and have always been able to come in here and feel God. But where we are right now, like Pastor said, God has opened up the windows of heaven and poured out on us and I'm glad I'm here part of it, aren't you? Hallelujah. If you have your uh, if you if you have it, say amen. Genesis chapter 21. We're going to read a few verses then I'm going to let you sit down. Starting with verse 14, it says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and she sent and, and sent her away, and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat down over against him a good way off, as it were a bowshot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not. For God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand. For I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water, and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. For he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. You may be seated. I'm going to talk to us just for a few moments about remember your promise. Now, I did not get the memo. They both wore brown. I wore blue. Pastor's wearing blue, so I hope that counts in my favor. We're going to see how it goes. 
Remember your promise. Now everybody here knows the story and the backdrop of, of Abram and Sarah, but if you, if you do not, if you give me just a moment, let me give you the backdrop. It's all familiar story. It's going to be one of the first ones we read about in Sunday school where we were taught about Abraham and Sarah. At this point, they were Abram and Sarah, and she had been barren for all of her life. She, she was unable to conceive a child the entire time uh, of their marriage up to this point. And uh, at this time, she only has a, a promise. She only has a word from God that actually her husband, Abram, will have, a, will have many children, a seed, a multitude of children. And uh, so we're in the waiting process of all of this. And Sarah grows impatient through the years of waiting for God's promise. And in chapter 16, she decides she's going to take the matters into her own hands. And at this point, she tells her husband to take her her Egyptian handmaiden, which is by the name of Hagar, and she gives her handmaiden to her husband to bear a child for them. She's thinking if he will go into her and bear a child that it will be ours and this will start the process of the promise that God has gave to us. So the action took place and while Hagar is pregnant with promise, she's pregnant with a child, she is now suffering under the hand of Sarah. So the Bible says she leaves. She packs her bags and she leaves to try to escape the wrath of Sarah. And when she does this, she is visited by an angel of God. And the angel of God basically in a nutshell tells her to go back and submit and he gives her the promise for her child that is in her womb that that he will also be of a great nation So she goes back and she submits. Time passes. So at the age of 86, Abram now has a son named Ishmael by the handmaiden Hagar. And not just any son. They have a son of promise. So the son is born. And now for some 14 years later, Sarah is pregnant with Isaac. And she gives, she concedes, and she has Isaac and tells Abram at this point there's, there's a time of, of from the birth to circumcision to the weaning of the child. And it's a lot of debate on the time of that. But at whatever time it is, she tells Abram at this point, you've got to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. They can't stay. I'm done. We've got our Isaac. He will not be an heir with my Isaac. Naturally, Abram is troubled, the Bible says, and God comes to him, the angel of God comes to him and tells him, uh, tells him, he do what your wife says, it's going to be okay, I'm going to take care of him. So the Bible says he wakes up in the morning and he goes to Hagar with provision and he gives her provision and her and the child and sets them on their way. Now Hagar takes the lad and they wander off into the wilderness and they're wondering and there's no timeline here but they're wandering around until the provision is gone. The water and the bread that 
that Abram had given him is gone. And they're, they're, they're wandering through the wilderness and the situation starts to get bad, as you can imagine, without any provision. A woman and a child wandering in the wilderness on their own. And she sits and she gets to the point to where she realizes that there's no coming back from this, that they are going to die. So what does she do? The Bible says she takes her child, she takes her promise, and she sets him under the shrub and leaves him there, and she wanders off so she does not have to watch him die. Now here's where it gets good, something I've never seen before. Think about this. When God makes a promise to us, He never forgets that promise. 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 says, For all promises of God are in Him, yea, and in Him, amen. When God sets a plan in motion, He does not give us all the details. He just says for us to trust Him. So what happens? One night we come to church and we get prophesied to and we get this promise and we get this word from God and we're hanging on to it with everything that we have. But the next day it doesn't happen. So what happens? We're, we're human. We're all the same. We start to wonder, God, where's my promise? God, where's what you said? What, what, what's happening? Then life starts to happen. The ups and the downs and the mundane of life and, and, and time passes and we find ourselves forgetting the promise about the promise of God. And, and, and we get off course and we, 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 we let the enemy start coming in to sow seeds of doubt and unbelief into our mind. And then we start to wonder if God had even spoken to us at all. I know I'm talking to people that have been in the same place, but, but I can tell you that the promise of God is waiting to come to fulfillment. Sometimes we have to do just like what the Bible says. We have to let our, let our promise cry out for us. Notice in verse 17 that the Bible said that God did not hear the voice of Hagar. He heard the voice of the lad. He heard the voice of the promise. He heard the voice of Ishmael, which literally means God hears. What was the lad? The lad was a promise to Hagar from God. It was a covenant. It was a promise that her descendants would be innumerable. And she had a promise from God. And because of the situation, because of the circumstance, she got tired of waiting on the promise and got tired and she put the promise aside. She was ready to give up on her promise. I've come to all that to say, let me say this right now. When life gets rough and when the ups and downs start happening, when you can't tell the up from the down, you can't tell beginning from the end, you can't tell friend from foe, that is not the time for you to step away and put your promise to the side. That is not the time to where you need to give up on God. That is not the time where you need to completely forget about your promise. You have to remember your promise. You have to remember the promise that God gave you. You need to pick up that promise and you need to hold on to that promise like you've never held on to it before. You've got to believe, yes, God did give me a promise that I could have life more abundantly. God did give me a promise that I would see my child saved and living for God. God did give me a promise that I would be able to walk in the Holy Ghost. So remember the promise. Remember your promise because we've all got promises. Aren't you glad that even when times get rough and we forget about our promises, literally forget the promise of God that God still remembers that promise. 
He never forgets. He never goes back on his word. He is a covenant-keeping God. God never goes back on his word. It's forever and settled. He is a covenant-keeping God, and we, we are a covenant people. If you want to stand while I close, I've got promises to hold on to. You've got promises to hold on to. I've been given a promise from God that no, I hadn't seen everything come to fruition yet. I've not seen that promise come to an end yet. But I will not, I absolutely refuse to get so caught up in where I am today and what I've come through and what I've gone through. I will not put my promise to the side to watch it die. I will let my promise cry out to God. Even when I can't cry out to God, I will let the Spirit cry out to God. So keep that in your mind. Your promise is not dead. It's still alive. It is just waiting for fulfillment. Keep your promise. Remember your promise in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. What a wonderful word we've already heard tonight. And unfortunately for, for everyone here, Somehow they got access to a few of my notes, so I'll be able to skip a few pages. Starting with part one that Brother Stevenson done for us there for our miracle opportunities. Nah, the Lord has orchestrated this service from the very start. He has a word for someone tonight, and I believe that someone is going to walk out of this house, change a different person with a miracle, with their promise, revived and alive tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's turn our attention to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. That would be 2 Kings chapter 4. We'll begin reading at verse 8. Thank you, Pastor Stevenson. I give honor, high honor to you, to your family, to the church tonight. I love each and every one of you. 2 Kings 4, verse 8 says, And it fell on a day that Elisha had passed to Shunem, and was a great woman, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be... When he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. All right. For your consideration tonight, I'd like to present my title, The Makings of a Miracle. Lord, I ask that you would have your way on the remainder of this service, God. Anoint these lips of clay, Lord. Let me disappear, Lord, and let your glory shine forth. Let your word go out. Your word does not return void. We thank you for what you've already done in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Before we get started tonight, at the onset of this message, I want to establish with you, as these good gentlemen have, that our God... He loves you, and he wants to perform a miracle on your behalf tonight. We're often trapped, and I, I'm speaking transparently. We're often trapped with the mindset that God, he's sitting up high in heaven, and 
we have to come to him, and when we've completed enough begging and we've met the allotment of pleading, that he will begrudgingly answer our prayer. All right, you've been here 42 times like you know I had in my head. Here's your miracle, all right? Now, get along. That is not the God that we serve tonight. God, that happens, that mistake, that mindset that we have blooms from the fact that we struggle to overcome our flesh and exercise our faith. We mistake that as God's reluctance to answer our prayers. But the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 16 and 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. Philippians 2.13 tells us, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God loves you. Even he loves us even when we were sinners. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us, but God commanded his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were against him, while we were not working the works of God, when we wasn't good enough at all, even when we get the Holy Ghost, we're not by some miraculous reason better. We're not good enough to earn salvation. He was the one who purchased our salvation for us. So I want us to, at the outset, understand that God loves you. He loves you the way that you are, and he wants to do a miracle on your behalf. Amen. When we turn in our scripture text, we know we know that God is in the room. We know that God is ready. He's willing from the moment we woke up this morning, he was looking to find someone that he could show himself strong to. From the moment that we walked through those doors, he was watching. I wonder if it's going to be that person. I wonder if that person's going to have enough faith tonight. I would love to do something for them if they'll let me. God was looking for the opportunity to do something for us tonight when we came here. Our scripture text has some miracles. We are familiar with the story. This is the story that we learn about. In Sunday school, I know that's where I personally heard it first, of the prophet Elisha and the Shunammite woman. We follow this story. We can follow the arc of the events recorded here, and we can make application to our own lives because we know that the Bible is true. The Bible is not a collection of stories. It's not cute little things we tell our kids to entertain them. Every word in this Bible right here is true, and you can live your life by it. Every word in this Bible is worth living out. It is our instruction book, our manual to make it to heaven. So let's look at the Shunammite woman and the miracles that she had. And when we delve into the story, we discover that there are three elements necessary for the makings of her miracle. The first was a desire for the things of God. Second Kings chapter 4 Tells us that Elisha passed Shunem often. So at some point, this woman felt compelled to invite him in and prepare a meal for him. She wanted to do something for him. And we don't know. It doesn't tell us exactly in details. But as my imagination runs rampant, I would assume it was a few times that he came by often. So she would invite him in. And, and she begins to realize that there was something that drew her to him, and she tells her husband, I perceive that this is a holy man of God. So she recognizes there's something different, and she reaches out and she forms a connection. If she had been too busy with her own life, then she would have missed his frequent trips passing by, and she would have missed out on the opportunity to get to know Elisha. 
this is the same way, and we can apply this to our lives today. If we are too busy for God, we won't even know when God comes close to us. We won't understand or recognize the opportunities that we have, and we'll miss out on forming a relationship with him if we're too busy to notice that he's passing us by. If we're too caught up with our work, with our pleasure, if we are too busy with life, the saying, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And we are in a busy, busy day today. A miracle, we know the story. There's a miracle on the horizon that she cannot see yet. But it would have never been on the path. It would have never been in her future if she had not had a desire and a hunger for the things of God and had the time to notice the opportunity. The Bible tells us that she was a great woman, so we can safely assume that she had a bunch of responsibilities like someone of influence today would. But she took the opportunity, and when her desire met with the opportunity, she started her pathway to her miracle. And the next step in the making of her miracle, so the first was she had a desire for the things of God. She had time. She had allowance for God to work. The next step was she began to make room for the things of God in her house. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 10 tells us, Let us make a little chamber, this is her talking to her husband, on the wall, and let us set him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he comes to us, he shall turn in here. He'll have a place to stay. He'll have a place to relax, to rest. We all know they didn't have automobiles back then, so he had the opportunity to rest on his journey. And maybe at this point, when we're looking at our own lives, maybe we don't even have a daily prayer time set aside. Maybe, maybe at this point in our lives, we haven't had enough room for dedication like some people that we look up to has. But as we fall in love with Jesus and the encounters that we begin to have with him, we start building a relationship with him. And then we start saying, you know what? Something's got to change in my life. I'm going to have to start shuffling some things around because we have prayer meeting tonight, and I want to make sure I make prayer meeting. I need to make room and time for prayer meeting. I have to change my daily routine up. I may have to wake up a little bit earlier, but, Lord, I feel like you're calling me to have a 30-minute window of prayer every single day for you. I feel like you're wanting room in my life, and I've got to make some room for the Lord in my life. We start to say, you know what? Some of these things that have seemed really important to me before, now that I'm getting to know you, Jesus, they're not all that important anymore. I'm going to start shuffling some things around. I'm going to start making room for the things of God in my life. We call our family together. We'll say, hey, we want to make room for God in our homes, in our schedules, in our lives, so that we can start enjoying regular encounters with God. We don't want God to just come and visit and leave. We want somewhere in our life that we know that God can stay, that God has a permanent place in our life, somewhere that we know that we can go and we can get in touch with God when we have a need, when we have something that we need to talk to God about. And I want to bring to our attention at this point, notice that the Shunammite woman, she has not said anything. She has not asked for anything. She is simply forming a relationship with Elisha, and she's wanting to serve. She's wanting to minister. She's wanting to do. But at this point, we know that she has had no ulterior motive because if we read further, she's not doing this to try to get something from the prophet. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 11 says, And it fell on a day that he came 
He stayed at the chamber, and he said to Gehazi, Call this Shunammite woman. And when he called her, she stood before him, and he said unto her, and he said unto him, he's telling his servant, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful with us with all this care. What is it that is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? He's asking, well, Is there something I can do for you? You've been doing and doing and doing for me. What can I do for you? She said, I dwell with my own people. She said, Everything's fine. I got God has blessed me. I'm living life. I don't need anything. And he asked his servant after she left, he said, what, what can be done with thee? And he said, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. And when he called her, she stood at the door, and he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And he said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thy handmaiden. Whoa, 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 Lord. I got some stuff that I, yes, I'll be honest, I do need working on, but there's some things that you don't play with. There's some things that is so important to me, I'm too scared to request. I'm too scared to try. I'm too scared to present that to you, God. And the woman, just like the prophet said, conceived and bare a son in the season that Elisha had said unto her. The Shunammite woman, she had a desire for the things of God, and she made an effort to have a permanent place in her life for the prophet to dwell. And when we put feet on our desire for the things of God and we start carving out a place in our lives to have a permanent place, we will not let the things of life rob us of our relationship with God. When we do this with a pure heart, we begin to see the miraculous start to work in our lives. We start to see things that we've never even asked for because, again, we was too scared to ask. We'll see the miraculous birth in our lives when we do as the Bible tells us in Matthew 6 and 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you. The makings of a miracle are intentionally making room for God in your life while cultivating a desire for the things of God. And there's one last component, the last and the most difficult. It's called the stretching. 2 Kings 4.18, And when the child was grown, it fell on the day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, My head, my head. And he said to the lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him, he brought him to his mother. He sat down on her knees till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. If anybody who can testify who's lived for God any length of time, there's going to come a time in your life, there's going to be a season that you're going to come up on that the miraculous, that the promises that you've been given by God will be attacked by the enemy and you will be left holding in your arms a lifeless promise. You'll be looking in the face of hopelessness. You'll be drowning in despair and you'll be wondering and questioning. You'll be saying, God, I'm where I'm at right now because of your supernatural provision. Why am I sitting here looking at hopelessness? Why am I stuck? Why am I not seeing the results that I want? There'll be a time that in order to receive the miraculous in our lives, we're going to have to start stretching. We're going to have to stretch beyond just desiring the things of God. We're going to have to stretch beyond making places for God in our lives. We're going to have to go beyond that and stretch our faith. 
We're going to have to start stretching what we're willing to do for God. We're going to have to stretch and step out of our comfort zone. We're going to have to stretch beyond what is considered normal. And isn't that just the way that the Lord works? That life is? Isn't that just the way it happens? We know that the Shunammite woman, she received her promise. And when the child died, guess what? The prophet wasn't there. The devil doesn't attack us. The enemy doesn't come against us when we're on the mountain, when everything's going good. It's when you're going what we call, impending cost, a dry spell. It's those times when you're praying and you feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling tiles back at you. It's those times like Job talked about where he said, I look forward and I don't see God. I look to the left and he's not there. I look to the right and he's hid myself. I go backwards and he's not there. What to do? She brought her dead miracle, her hopeless situation, to that place that she had carved out, that permanent place that she had for the things of God in her life. She said to her husband, I'm going to go see the man of God. And he said, why? There's, it's not the new moon or the Sabbath. Why, why would we be doing that? And she said, it's okay. Everything's all right. As she's approaching the prophet, the prophet's servant comes out to her. and He says, is everything okay with your husband? With you and with your child, she says, it's all well. But when she gets to the prophet, the only one who can actually do anything about her situation, that's when the hurt, that's when the anguish that she's feeling, that's when she starts laying out her petition. And that prophet comes back with her. And she, I can understand, I can see in my mind the thoughts. I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. And when we apply that to us today, Lord, I've been up to the front. And I've got anointed with oil. I've taken that prayer cloth and given it to my child. That lost loved one wrote their name down, put it on the altar, and nothing's happening, God. I'm doing the same things. I'm doing the things you told me. What, what, what else do I have to do? What I'm doing, the normal stuff that we do at church is not working anymore. So Elisha comes back to the house, and he says, he enters into the chamber, and he stretches out. So her request, her stretching, has been met with a stretching. Okay, but get this. The Bible tells us that he entered in, and he shut the door. Her miracle was being worked on, and she couldn't even see it. He laid out across that child, and he began to breathe he became warm. At this point, he's been dead for approximately 12 hours. She hasn't seen any evidence that what she's been prayed about is working. But when the prophet exits and he walks around their home, this jumped out to me. It was when he walked to and fro in the house. And God dropped the thought of the question. When we make room from him sometimes in our lives, do we turn those rooms into boxes? God, we want you to come and we want you to be with us, but I want you to stay right here. Please don't inconvenience me whenever I'm at Walmart and there's someone that needs prayer. I've already prayed today, God, and I prayed for the lost over here. I don't, I don't want to make her, I don't want you everywheres in my life. I've got a room, I've got a place where I have for you to be and that there's where you are allowed to be and not over here, but... When 
Elisha walked out and he walked to and fro in her house. Then he went back in and she received the answer to her miracle. Now we say, God, we have special places for you in our life, but you can touch anything in my life. You can work anywhere that you want to. You are sovereign and you have free will to do whatever you like in my life. That's when, when you're going through a season of dryness that you can begin to see your miracle. And to build off of what these brothers say before, if you don't mind, let's all stand right now. A miracle can become a monument, not a memorial. Memorial is something that designates something that's dead. Musicians, if you don't mind coming. But when we talked about, I believe it was Brother Caleb, about our miracles, he talked about having stones set up. I had this in my notes. And the Lord said, I want you to show them tonight. Show them some things. I said, all right, Lord. Some monuments. We're talking about monuments. When you can look back at a miracle and you start building up gratitude and faith. It was right along in here while I was standing. Holding my young child, my little boy. We had taken him to three or four doctors over the past two or three weeks and nobody could help us or tell us what was wrong with him. I was standing right here when he received his healing and God touched his life. We're talking about monuments. We're talking about miracles, the makings of a miracle. Anybody who's lived any length of time will know that God does work and perform the miraculous. I was standing in a prayer line at this church, at this, at this facility. But when we grow and God gives us the increase, Brother Aaron's still going to walk and stand in front of that pulpit. And I'm going to walk down that aisle sometimes, maybe when nobody's there. And I'm going to say, Lord, for over two years I suffered with migraines and went all over the state and nobody could help me. I was on medicine. I was taking this. I was taking that. And I was standing in a prayer line in a church service. When you begin the healing that only you could provide, God. When I need something in my life in the future, it doesn't matter where I'm at. I can look to the right and say, my son received his healing right there. Not at this place, but I have a memorial. I have a monument, rather, in my life. Right there is where he received his miracle. I was standing right here in a church service when God touched me and healed me. I was sitting in a chair right here when God touched me of my arthritis, and I have not taken a single pill for that healing. God can do anything that you need here tonight. I want to tell someone tonight, the Lord loves you and he wants to do a miracle for you. If you don't have enough memorials or monuments of miracles in your life, the word says that we are overcomers by the words of our testimony. If you need something to look back at, 
If you need something to look at to build your faith, look right over there. Boy, I had a four-year-old child that hadn't ate anything in three weeks. Look right there. Look right there and imagine a chair where a 32-year-old man is sitting down and he received his healing of arthritis. God can work on your behalf. If it's appropriate, I'd like to invite each and every one of you to come down to the front. Maybe, maybe a miracle of healing, maybe a miracle of a touch, maybe a mental healing is not something you're looking for. Maybe you're seeking for the greatest miracle that can possibly happen to a human. Maybe you're looking to receive the Holy Ghost, Almighty God, coming and residing in vessels of clay. Oh, Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you do, God. Thank you for the miraculous power, Jesus. This is a house. Oh, this is a relationship with you, Lord, hallelujah, Jesus.
your hands all over this place. Father, thank you for three timely words. God, we open our heart. We receive the word of the Lord. I pray, Lord, for every person they would walk out of here, Lord, that they would not waste this word, but God, that they would apply it to their heart. Lord, that we may grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you to those who have been coming by the church and praying. I want to clarify something that I said. If you live within a 15-minute radius of the church, I'm asking you to come. If you live further out, I realize it can present a challenge, and I know that you're praying at home. But I'm trying to saturate this place with prayer on a daily basis. There's prayer logs in each prayer room. If you're here and you don't have a key, call me or Sister Kim. And somehow, Sister Jane's across the street. We can make sure you get in here. But I want you to sign those prayer logs as we just increase in prayer. I'm believing that what we're feeling is going to increase as well. Thank you so much. I love you. Greet one another in Jesus' name. Sing it unto the Lord.